This is New Life Christian Fellowship's weekly message podcast. You can find us online at newlifepetaluma.org. And now, this week's message. What an absolutely great way for us to enter into the teaching from God's Word and singing of our love and devotion. It's really a love song. Did you pick up on that? You are my love, my life, always, forever. Sounds like something you would get on the inside of a Valentine's card, right? Well, that was sort of our pre-Valentine's Day Valentine to God. And, and I hope you got that. And uh, maybe even more than that, I hope he got that. And I know he did. Good morning, everybody. Are you ready for, to be taught out of God's Word? You sure? I'm so excited to be able to teach you this morning. This is the very last in our teaching series on the recovery road, and, and uh, boy, we have learned a lot. We've been challenged a lot, and I think God has a little sneak attack for us this morning. So that's going to be really fun to do and fun to enter into as we get into this uh, teaching this morning from God's Word. And uh, I'm going to talk to you this morning about entitlement. And uh, we're going to talk about it from the standpoint that we don't usually, and therein lies the sneak attack. So I'm just going to wet your whistle with that just a little bit. Uh, I'm very excited that uh, somewhere just under or around 150 of us are enrolled in Financial Peace University life groups. If you're in one of our nine FPU life groups, would you put your hand in the air? I'm so excited for you because this is going to be a great journey. My hand's in the air because I'm in one of those or going to be as of tomorrow night. So uh, uh, this is going to be fun stuff. And I thought one of the best things that we could do at the beginning of the teaching this morning is, is invest five to seven minutes in letting you hear another real life story. And several years ago, God began to speak to our community of faith about the management of our money, or maybe I would say more properly, the mismanagement of it. And one of the first couples to clearly hear that message from God and to respond was Joe and Alicia Webb. And they are sort of pioneers in this church because they heard that message clearly And they responded to it, and they sort of blazed the trail that all of us are getting to walk now. And I can tell you clearly that if they hadn't heard and responded from God about this, we probably wouldn't be doing this series, and we probably wouldn't have nine Financial Peace University life groups. So they are um, my heroes. So would you welcome with me two of our own, Joe and Alicia Webb. And it's all yours. There you go. Thank you. I didn't know if I should come out in a covered wagon because we're pioneers of blazing a trail or or what. Uh, I'm Joe. This is Alicia. You couldn't tell. Um, Oh, hey. Thank you. Thank you. Um, Actually, I don't know if you know this, but 14 years ago this month was when we first met. So, yes. Oh, wonderful. And that's when I inherited some debt. No. 
No, we actually both went to um, private schools and inherited uh, a lot of debt in the form of student loans and, and other things. I, in fact, had to get a credit card in order to finish paying for school before I could graduate. They called me in the last week of school and said, you know, we need $2,000 or you can't graduate. Well, I have this thing that says Visa on it, so take this. Um, so when we got married in the fall of 1998, and um, we were about, right then, probably $40,000 in debt um, with school and credit cards and, and things, and, and um, we quickly had uh, two children a year and a half after that, and, and uh, had to get a new car, obviously, because when you have two kids, you need a new car. Um, and so we were leasing a car and had a uh, $500 a month car payment and, and uh, all kinds of things that were just, we thought were normal. You know, we didn't think about it, paying the minimum on our credit card bill, maybe paying $10 more a month if we felt really good about it, um, if we were doing really well. And we were just, uh, you know, moving along that way, not really thinking about how we would ever get out of debt. We just assumed it would always be there. Um, so because of that, though, we were unable to uh, move on a uh, purchase of our townhome. Our, our landlords were selling it and wanted to offer it to us first. And uh, it was probably just over $200,000. And um, we, couldn't make, we couldn't afford the monthly payments for something um, like that at that time because we were so far in, um, in bondage to debt. So we had to end up moving up to Santa Rosa and got a wonderful opportunity to manage a townhome complex, which means we didn't have to pay rent, and didn't have to pay utilities, and it was awesome. But somehow, yeah, nothing changed. We didn't have an extra $1,000 a month. Why, why was that? Well, you know, we're just not thinking. We're just moving, moving along and uh, thinking it's always going to be like this. Um, right after that move, uh, I lost my job. And so I went from, I was making close to $80,000 a year and went to zero. And then we're out of work for four months and uh, had to cash in my 401k and all the stuff that if you're going through FPU, you're going to learn not to do. Um, but I had to do that uh, in order just to stay afloat. Even though we didn't have to pay for rent or, or any utilities or anything like that, we were still so far in debt that I had to have some sort of income in order just to pay the, the monthly bills. Uh, thankfully, God blessed me with a job um, four months later, and that ended up paying $40,000 a year. So I went, it was about half of what I was making before, but we were still getting by, which was interesting to us because how can we be making half as much but still, yeah, still be okay and still making the same, um, uh, living the same way. So uh, shortly after that, Alicia actually got the um, idea or the call or something to to take crown, to become a crown uh, financial leader. And she um, took some classes. And do you want to talk about that at all? Okay. Um, and so I joined her, obviously, uh, because that's what I'm supposed to do as a husband, right? She took the lead and, and, and started the first uh, crown group. Yeah, I know. It wasn't me, Ron. It was, it was all this one. And so I joined her, and uh, it was totally eye-opening. It was the crown... Um, Financial Bible study is actually a Bible study uh, with a focus on finances. And it was amazing to uh, learn the memory verses every week and learn what God has to say um, just about finances that applies today. Um, and it totally changed our mindset. Uh, we had always had a giving heart, wanted to be givers of a family of, of givers, but just couldn't because we had to give to 
uh, Visa to, you know, Stafford Loans to whatever, to Nissan. Um, and so it really opened our eyes how uh, much of uh, in slavery we were to debt because it really is. You're not free to do what you would like to do. Um, so much of our world revolves around money and things. And when you um, aren't free uh, to do what you want to with your money, you're really, you're really in bondage. Um, and so that kind of started us on the path of, hey, we really need to get out of debt. We really need to stop living the way we are living. Um, and so through some, some things that, you know, seem bad, uh, I had some uh, family members pass away, uh, but they left us an inheritance. I was able to pay off my student loans. Um, we were able to um, get a home, a town home here in Petaluma uh, through a wonderful program with the city where they pay a third of it and, and we pay two-thirds of it. Um, and so it, it was wonderful. Um, just learning what God has to say and and following what He does have to say, um, it really works. It's it's amazing. And so um, we wanted to share that with everybody. We we're like, hey, you know, we didn't learn this growing up. I don't know if anybody else was in the same boat. So let's keep teaching these classes and 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 Crown. And then something uh, called Financial Peace University came around, and and I know Alicia wanted to start with that too, um, teaching everyone because we just wanted to share the freedom you can have when you're not uh, completely tied down um, by your finances. Anything else? The, the one thing that, that really got me as we were going through it and learning together as a couple is that we, we couldn't stop just not just teaching you guys, but teaching our own kids and, and saying, we grew up a certain way. You don't have to grow up that way. And so it's been really fun as our kids are growing older, sixth and seventh grade right now. And, they are starting to have hearts of givers, and they want to give. They get an allowance, they get a gift, and they give 10%, and they want to do that. They love doing that. You know, who can we give it to? Samaritan's Purse, can we, do a, can we give it to the, to the zone? And um, the zone is our kids' ministry, and Emma just left the kids' ministry, went to the junior high ministry, and she goes, Mom, is it okay if I start giving to the junior high ministry instead? Like, yeah, absolutely. <laughs> so, yeah, please. So um, their, their hearts, they're seeing outside of themselves. And, yes, we have our selfish moments um, that we have to fight and that we indulge in sometimes. But um, God is always there to guide us through, and his word is so strong. And if you take FPU, if you do um, one of those courses or just you know, find somebody to come alongside you and guide you through if you don't have time to do FPU, um, God will guide you, and God will show you where you can be opened up and be using his gifts to you for his purpose, and it goes so much deeper than money. At, at some point, your heart gets changed, and all of a sudden, you're giving 100% of your life, not just a little bit of your money. So, change your life. Yes. Thank you. <laughs> thank you. Thank you. There was something in there that, I, that uh, you may have missed, but I want to point it out, and that is, Joe and Alicia were able to buy a home through a program in our city. But you know, that program in our city was actually available long before they actually took advantage of it. Because one of the things that you're going to find is as you fully partner with God, He begins to open your eyes to opportunities that you had missed. And He begins to bring into your life blessing that He was just waiting for you to get in a proper place with Him so that He would then give you that blessing so you wouldn't waste it, but you would actually use it well.
And uh, so there you go. Now, in the, in the remaining minutes that we have, we're going to jump into the life of Jesus. But we're going to start with a core question, because this is the question, the only question we're going to ask this morning, and it's the one that we're going to try to answer from the life of Jesus. So take a look at what the core question is. The real question in life isn't, what am I entitled to? See, we usually think of entitlement in terms of us wanting something that we don't yet have, but we feel like we're entitled to. Or other people feeling like they're entitled to things that they haven't deserved or haven't earned. But the real question isn't so much, what am I entitled to that I can demand? But the real question is, what do I do with what I'm rightfully entitled to? See, you might think, now that we've talked about the five principles of biblical finance, and we've talked about getting out of debt, and we've talked about saving and investing, what else would there be left to talk about? We have to understand that when we begin to manage what God has brought into our care, when we begin to manage it well, it begins to stack up. And we become financially healthy, and yes, even financially wealthy. So then the question is asked, Now that we're financially healthy and or wealthy, what do we do with these things that we have earned and that we have managed well and that we are rightfully entitled to? Because if if we don't manage what we've already accrued well, then money still has its grip on us. Does that make sense to everybody? We're going to talk about that, okay? So let's take a look. Let's jump. We're going to look at two scenes in the life of Jesus. And let's, let's jump into scene number one. The Bible says they were on their way to, up to Jerusalem, and Jesus was walking ahead of them. That's kind of an interesting picture. Here's Jesus, and he's got his 12 closest followers directly behind him, and just behind them is sort of a crowd of people, and Jesus is walking on his way to Jerusalem. What we do know is that this was Jesus' last trip from the the regions of Israel to Jerusalem because he knows the end of his life is imminent. It's an interesting scene. Now, the Bible says the disciples were filled with awe. I wish I could tell you that that meant that they were worshiping the Son of God who was walking right in front of them. We'll find out a little bit later that that sense of awe was not quite so holy. Okay? It was tainted by selfishness. It also says that behind him the people were overwhelmed with fear. Why? Because they were walking behind Someone that they didn't rightfully know who he was, but they did know that just a day or two before, he had given sight to a blind man by the name of Bartimaeus in the city of Jericho. They did know that he had, that he had eaten in the home of a tax collector by the name of Zacchaeus. They did know that amazing things took place wherever Jesus was. And there was something about him that they wanted to be drawn to him, but at the same time they kept their distance because you never quite knew what was going to happen when Jesus was around. Moving on. So taking the twelve disciples aside, 
So he sort of left the crowd over there, and he took his 12 closest followers, the men he was personally training for leadership in his kingdom. He took them aside, and Jesus once more began to describe to them everything that was about to happen to him. You see, Jesus knew what was coming. He said, listen. By the way, anytime Jesus says, listen, it's a good idea to pay close attention. Because what comes after that is really important. He said, now listen, we're going up to Jerusalem where the Son of Man, and they all knew that was his favorite title for himself, the Son of Man will be betrayed to the leading priests and the teachers of religious law. There's an interesting word in there. I want you to circle it. It's the word betrayed. By the way, we gave you a little break this morning. You probably noticed there's no fill in the blanks. Did you notice that? That means I want you to really listen. No, what that actually means is I forgot to give them the fill in the blanks, all right? So I'm going to ask you to listen, all right? We should have circled and underlined the word betrayed. Jesus before has said that he was going to be delivered, but he now uses the word betrayed. Who should that have touched? Judas, correct? Yeah, he's going to be betrayed. And then he goes ahead to say, they will sentence him to die and hand him over to the Romans. They will mock him. They will spit on him. They will flog him with a whip and they will kill him. So far, it's not real good news, right? It's just getting worse and worse and worse. But here's where it turns around. And after three days, he will rise again. You know what Jesus knew? Jesus knew that the battle lines for the war of the ages were being drawn in the very near future. He knew it. He has one thing on his mind. And that is, he came to give his life as a sacrifice so that he could provide for you and me and everyone else who has ever lived the things that we needed most, forgiveness, a right relationship with God, and the opportunity to share a forever life with him in eternity. And apart from him, we couldn't get any of those. The stakes are high. The cost is equally high. Jesus was about ready to make the greatest sacrifice in the history of mankind. So he took the people who were closest to him This was his support network. This was his safety net. And he said, guys, this is what's coming. It's going to hurt. It's going to be tough. Let's see how they respond. Then James and John, the sons of Zebedee, came over and spoke to him. Teacher, they said, we want you to do us a favor. Is this the kind of support you'd like to have? What's your request, he asked. They replied, when you sit in your glorious, on your glorious throne, we would like to sit in places of honor next to you. One on your right and the other on your left. I read this, you know what I think of? I think of a mother who's walking through the grocery store who has just heard very distressing news about her family and she's crying her tears and her two-year-old says, can I have a candy bar? Somebody's not getting it, right? You know what they're saying? 
you know, Jesus, this thing about you and your kingdom, that's great. And the fact that you're going to be center stage in the kingdom, we are so cool with that, especially if we could be on your right and left, because we like to do that ruling thing too. Could you give us some power? We'd really like to have some. You know, they understood that their association with Jesus brought with it some power and privilege. And they wanted to appropriate as much of that as they could for themselves. I want you to see how Jesus responds to this. Take a look. Jesus called them together. That was James and John, and Jesus knew that everyone needed this lesson, not just James and John. So he called the rest of the gang in there. And by the way, reading between the lines and reading some of the other accounts, we know that the other ten guys were absolutely indignant that James and John would make that request first. Yeah. Here's what Jesus said. You know that the rulers of this world lord it over their people and their officials flaunt their authority over those under them. But among you, it will be different. Whoever wants to be a leader among you must be your servant and whoever wants to be first among you must be the slave of everyone else. For even the Son of Man came not to serve, not to be served, but to serve others and to give his life as a ransom for many. You know, Jesus' teaching on entitlement here is a nice little three-point message. Number one, this is how it's done in the world. Number two, this is how radically different it's going to be in my kingdom. And number three, take a look at my life because I'm the prime example of how it's going to be. I want you to hear this clearly and distinctly. Loving service is the highest value in the kingdom of Christ. And therefore, those who want to rise in the kingdom of Christ will be required to give greater and greater levels of loving service. Does that make sense? That's it. And because that's the way it is in the kingdom of Christ, the culture in the kingdom of Christ is so different than any other kingdom in this world. And aren't you glad that it is? Yeah. The disciples think, oh, thank God that teaching's over. That was not much fun. I mean, when Jesus starts hauling out servant and slave terms, I'm out of here. Little do they know that his biggest lesson on entitlement is yet to come. This is just the introduction. This is the prelude. So let's go to scene two. Because in scene two, the Bible says it was just before the Passover feast. You have to understand that the Passover feast was to the Jewish nation what the 4th of July is to the United States of America. It was their birthday. It was their declaration of independence from the nation of Egypt where they had been in slavery for some 400 years. They said, as of this day, we are officially our own nation. It was party time for the Jewish people. And and their party took place around a feast, a God-ordained feast. 
So what's going on? I'll set the scene for you just a little bit. Uh, Jesus and his 12 closest followers are in a room that they have reserved. It happens to be what, what we call the upper room. It was on the second story of a building in Jerusalem. It was a large room, and, and they had prepared it for this feast. There's all sorts of plots and subplots going on here. But what everybody knows is that this is the Passover feast. It's party time. Let's talk about the Declaration of Independence of our nation. Okay? Now let's read the rest of this. Jesus knew that the time had come for him to leave this world and go to the Father. Wow. Having loved his own who were in this world, he now showed them the full extent of his love. I want to give you an alternate translation for that. He now showed them the full extent that he would want them to carry his love. Can, that's actually a more full translation of that. He goes on to say, the evening meal was being served. Whoa, listen to this. And the devil had already prompted Judas Iscariot, son of Simon, to betray Jesus. There's two people sitting at that table who have private information that no one else knows. Let's start with Judas. No one at that table knows what Judas knows, that Judas has already agreed to betray Jesus. So what's on his mind at that Passover feast? It's not about the independence of the Israel of the nation of Israel from Egypt. It's not about remembering history. What's going on in Judas's mind is that he's about ready to make a quick $330, which is what modern-day money would be the equivalent of 30 pieces of silver. He's making 330 bucks that night. For what? Just to tell a group of people where Jesus is after dark. That's it. So in his mind, he's thinking through the logistics. But there's somebody else who has some information that no one else is aware of. I want you to underline these words. It says, Jesus knew. Because that phrase is used twice in this scene, and both times it's really important. Jesus has already told his 12 closest followers that he's going to die, that he's going to be betrayed, that he's going to be flogged and spit on and he's going to be hit and he's going to be killed. He's already told them that. But they're oblivious to it. But it's on Jesus' mind because he knows that in 12 hours he will be standing trial for his life. He will be flogged. He will be tied to a post. He will be whipped and beat until there's hardly any life left in him. And then he will be dragged outside of town and he will be hung from a cross there to die when his body can't take it anymore. He knows every detail of it ahead of time. It's the only thing on his mind, which is why the Bible says, he knew the time had come for him to leave this world. So what's on Jesus' mind? Take a look. Jesus knew that the Father had put all things. By the way, there's the second time Jesus knew is in there. Why don't you underline that? First is he knew it was his time to leave the world. But the second thing is he knew 
This is another piece of information that the apostles didn't have. That the Father had put all things, circle and underline all things, under his power, and that he had come from God and was returning to God. Friend, that is an ultimate statement of entitlement. Would you not say that? You couldn't point to anything or name anything that Jesus wasn't in charge of and that he didn't own. But why? Because he made it. It's all his. He could do anything with it he wanted to. He's the most entitled person who's ever lived or walked on this planet. And he knew it. So what did he do? Here it is. So he got up from the meal. He took off his outer clothing. He wrapped a towel around his waist. Let's stop right there. Jesus got up from the meal and he took off his outer clothing. I used to think, of course he took off his outer clothing. He was about ready to wash people's feet and he didn't want to get this outer clothing dirty or or wet. Now there's way more in it than that. What was Jesus' outer clothing? It was his robe. We know from another passage in the Bible that Jesus' robe was seamless. It was woven in one piece from top to bottom. It was beautiful. How do we know that? Because the crude soldiers who were at the foot of the cross when Jesus died could have torn it up, divided it into rags, and divided it amongst themselves. But they held it up and they looked at it and they said, it's too beautiful to tear. And so they cast lots so that one of the soldiers would get it and it wouldn't be torn. There's two other things you need to know about that robe. More than likely it was given to him and it was a robe similar to what all the other rabbis wore. It was a sign of his authority. And the apostles recognized that. Third thing you need to know about that robe is that was the robe that people clamored to come and touch so they could be healed. Somehow the disciples recognized that the authority of Jesus was wrapped up in that robe and he took it off. Why? Because the man who was the most entitled in that room decided to serve those who were the least entitled. So he took the symbol of his authority off and he set it down. He wrapped a towel around his waist, poured water in a bowl, and he began to wash his disciples' feet, drying them with a towel that was wrapped around him. That's not usually what they did at Passover. Got it? Doesn't sound like much of a party. Wow. Take a look at what happens next. When he had finished washing their feet, he put on his clothes, returned to his place, and he said, Do you understand what I have done for you? You know what the proper answer to that question is? They didn't have a clue. Yeah. And neither would you, and neither would I if we were there. And he went on to say, You call me Lord and teacher, and rightfully so. In other words, Jesus was entitled to that that title. He had earned it. 
And Jesus is saying, I want you to see what I did with what I'm rightfully entitled to. It's not wrong to be financially well. That's a right thing. It's not even wrong to be financially wealthy. That's a right thing if it's properly handled. He goes on to say, Now that I, your Lord and teacher, have washed your feet, you should also wash one another's feet. I have set you an example that you should do as I have done for you. I tell you the truth, no servant is greater than his master, nor is a messenger greater than the one who sent him. In other words, listen up. This is my lesson on entitlement. Remember back when I said that that the rulers of this world sort of flaunt their authority over people and they exercise their power in ways that they get other people to do what they want them to do so that they can get rich while these people work hard? And remember I told you it's not going to be like that in my kingdom. But whoever would be greatest among you would become the servant or the slave of everyone. Listen up. That's why I had the towel. That's why I set off my robe. That's why I washed your feet. And now I'm calling you to be like me. To do what I have done. So what was the first question that we asked, the core question? The right question is not, what am I entitled to? But the right question is, what do I do with what I'm rightfully entitled to? Here's the answer to that question. Recovery begins, takes place only as we leverage our entitlements for the benefit of those who are less entitled. So we wrap this up and bring it to a close. Let me give you two closing thoughts. Number one, we are the entitled ones. I said to you somewhere along the line, maybe it was in the first sermon or the third sermon of this series, I can't remember, but I said to you that if your household income is $49,000 or more, you're in the top 1% of incomes in the entire world. You know what that means? We are not the 99%. We are the what? We are the 1%. By the way, you know who knows those figures? God. Got it? How dare we look at him and feel like we're underprivileged and that we should have more than we have now? Yeah. The real question is, what will we do with this wonderful thing that God has given us? the end, Jesus makes one closing comment. That's the one I want to point us to as we close. Empty or full. Here's what Jesus said. Now that you know these things, you will be blessed if you do them. Circle that word blessed. You know what we often associate with blessed? We often associate with blessed the concept of happy. We often associate the the concept of God will give us more. I'm living a blessed life, which means that God's giving me more and more and more. Did you know that's not what that word means at all? What that word actually means is full. And the last time I checked, when something was full, you couldn't put any more in it. Am I right? That's the whole idea. You know what God knows about you and me? That someday when our life comes to an end, we're either going to die empty or full. 
God wants us to die full. And you know what he said? The way to die full is to take what I've given you and pour it out on people who don't have what you have. Take what you're rightfully entitled to and leverage it for the benefit of those who've never gotten that before. In the process of this year, we as a church are going to have the opportunity to do some really wonderful things. We're going to have the opportunity to eat beans and rice for a week or two. Isn't that awesome? You know what we're going to do? We're going to take off our food robe and set it over here on the side and we're going to, we're going to wrap the towel of beans and rice around us. We're going to eat beans and rice for two weeks so that we can walk in the shoes of billions of people on our planet that that's all they have. Wow. You know what else we're going to do? We're going to be asked to take that money that we have saved from eating beans and rice and bring it here and give it as an offering to God so that in a week or two we can build a church building for a congregation in India that really needs it. Wow. We're going to take what we have in, are rightfully entitled to and we're going to leverage it for the benefit of those who are less entitled. We have, we're going to be challenged to provide food through our Fifth Tuesday program to people in this town who can barely feed their own kids. We're going to have the opportunity and be asked to fund a program in Rebuilding Together Petaluma to reach out to a family who doesn't have what we have and who's really hurting. We're going to be asked not only to fund that project, but to actually get involved and provide the manpower, not just for that project, but for all kinds of projects around our city. And the list is going to go on and on. There's all sorts of things that God's going to bring our way and call us to be involved in and give us the opportunity to serve And the real question is, will we be willing to take off our robe and set it aside and enthusiastically get on board so that we can live full? Got it? That's the deal. I want to challenge us to be involved in that. I want to challenge us to reach out and take that and grab it with gusto. And I want to challenge us to be the most generous organization in our community to be the most loving organization in our community. I'm talking about church or not church. I want to challenge us to be the most giving, serving, generous, loving, caring organization in our community. And if we will dare to do that, then we can say we are truly followers of Jesus. Amen? Amen, amen. On the back of your Connect card, there's a number of ways that you can respond. And for the sake of time this morning, I'm not going to go through them. I'm going to trust that while I pray, you can can pray with your eyes open, all right? You can read and respond as God calls you to. Father, in this moment, as we look at these ways to respond, would you challenge us in our spirits that we would be followers of Christ and that we would leverage what we are rightfully entitled to for the benefit of those who are far less entitled, that we might be followers of you. Amen. We hope you enjoyed this week's message. 
You can find more information about New Life, including contact information, at newlifepetaluma.org. Thanks for listening.